like to start this morning here in the Gospel of John just reading the section that we're going to be covering today. And so we pick up reading in verse 19 of chapter 1. It says this, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent um, were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I think the first point I'd like to quickly make is that last verse right there. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. There's not many, there's not any Bible stories that begin with once upon a time and end with happily ever after. Because that's the language of fairy tales. The Bible is the language of actual history. The Bible tells us locations. The Bible tells us people who reigned at intersecting dates. So that we can know not only the whens, but the wheres that these events happen. And the beauty of the Bible is, is that people will go then and they will use archaeology and they'll find these locations. The Bible isn't just these out there ethereal stories. The Bible is history and it is the story of God's work of redemption through Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. Now, there are other books that other cultures would consider their holy books, and they're not concerned with times. They're not concerned with places. They're concerned more with uh, once upon a time, happily ever after. But the Bible, it stands or falls based on the accuracy of its claims. If the Bible is not accurate, then you know what? Like, we're not going to be building our life upon it. But today, I want you to be, like, rest assured You can build and anchor your life on the Word of God. Now with that, this passage that we're looking at today, man, John the Baptist, that's how we know him, and he was causing a stir. So these religious leaders, they came because they wanted to get to know him. Yesterday, we had the pleasure of attending uh, Sachi, her birthday party. She turned three. And if you know Sachi, she is such a little blessing. I mean, she just glows She's three years old, and she is so welcoming. She'll run up to you with her big old smile, and you just, you feel like 
she wants you to feel at home. Uh, It's just, she's a precious little one. Well, at this birthday party, we didn't know many people at this house. You know, I knew like just a couple of people, but most of the people that were there, we didn't know who they were. And so right away, you pull up at a party like this, you don't know who these guys are, and you get to make a decision. Either we could grab a couple of chairs, find some shade, sit down, and then Hannah and I could just keep to ourselves and watch the kids play, or I could do the tough thing and go over and introduce myself to some people and get to know their names. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go try to do the tough thing, because I think it's the better thing. It's the thing that I probably should be doing. So I walked up to one guy, and I said, hi, how you doing? I'm Sean. And they introduced me, they, they told me their name, and as we began to talk, you know, at that point, it's just like, I know his name, he knows my name. Now I have to take it to the next level. So what's the next question I'm going to ask to draw more information out? Uh, What's your relation to the family? Then they get to tell their backstory. I get to tell my backstory. Then, so what do you do for a living? They get to tell me a little bit about them. Where do you live? And next thing you know, we have enough information to start like mutually exchanging and then getting to know one another. So what started with shaking hands and introducing myself ended with the day with I made a friend named Zach and I made a friend named Steve. And it was like challenging. It was hard because, I mean, you might think that I'm pretty extroverted, but I'll tell you this. I'm only extroverted for about 10 minutes. And then I go like, oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to talk about now. And I get like overwhelmingly shy. I'm like, nice to meet you. Let me go somewhere. It's just like I'm, I'm only a little bit extroverted, only for a little while. So it's tough, but I'll tell you, it was worth it. And that's one way to do it. I'm sure you've been at like, you know, um, company picnics or, you know, maybe like your spouse invites you to her family dinner and you're like, I don't know any of these guys. You know, it might be awkward, but that's the way that there's, you can ask some questions and you can get to know somebody. There's other times that I want to get to know somebody, like when there's a suspicious person walking around. I want to get to know them. But I don't want to get to know them in the way of, like, uh, I'm not going to be sticking out my hand and saying, hi, how you doing? They might have a reason to be here, but I want they they might not, and I want to find out. You, You might have remembered a few Sundays ago, it was a couple months ago now, like in the middle of service, somebody walked in, they walked all the way up to the front, and they were like kind of like awkward, and they sat right in the very front row. And I'm like, okay, this is a little strange. And so in the middle of service, I said, how you doing? How's it going, man? And I'm like trying to gauge some cues just to kind of, you know, assess the situation. I'm not normally like, hey, how are you? Let's, let's have small talk during a church service. But I started asking those questions because there's a reason. Then when the guy got up and started walking down here, I was like, hey, can I help you? Like, I'm not normally trying to, like, you know, accommodate people in the middle of a church service. But I also know that, like, our kids are down there, and he might just be going out the door, which is exactly what he was doing. But you know what I mean? I was asking questions. 
in a situation like that, like I said, I'm not reaching out my hand. I'm not, you know, hey, so like, how do you feel about politics? Uh, do you know the election is 24 days? Are you registered to vote? All I want to know is, are you a threat? I'm going to ask the questions, are you risky? How much attention do I have to put on you to make sure that, like, everyone is safe? Those, that's a different kind of introduction. That's a different kind of trying to assess the situation, a different kind of trying to get to know the individual. Here's where we're at today. A few weeks ago, we learned about a man whose name was John. And John, as we saw in verse 6, he was a man sent from God. In verse 7 and 8, we learned that he wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness of the light, the true light that shines on every man who comes into the earth. Like he was a witness of the true light. And then last week in verse 15, we saw that he, both, he bore witness of both the preeminence and the preexistence of the Lord. His name was John, but we like to call him John the Baptist, right? So that, that's, that's what we call him. The Gospel of John doesn't mention it as much as like the other Gospels do, but John had been creating a stir. All the countryside were starting to come out to him. People from every walk of life, whether they were like soldiers or, you know, like whatever they were, like they were coming out to hear from John. Preaching baptism, but a baptism of repentance. The crowds were flocking to that. And the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, they were beginning to get concerned. I mean, here's a man claiming to be speaking in the name of God and being effective at it. He was preaching a message that even today, if somebody starts preaching this, this kind of message, it gets a little, you know, it, it's, it's not really common. What's the message? You need to repent. You need to stop playing games with your sin and turn away from it. You need to turn to God, and I'm going to call you out to a public confession that you are acknowledging that you're falling short and you're messing around with sin. Come into the water and be baptized. Like, that's not the kind of message that packs out churches. People want to be, they want their batteries charged, you know? They want the feel-good stuff. They want to hear about how wonderful they are. They want to hear about them amplified. So, like, if God wants to amplify me, then amplify me, because that's what I do. I try to amplify me, too. And if God wants to be my co-partner in making me excellent in the earth, then so be it. And so often, that is the humanistic focus of, like, so much of what happens in pulpits. It's not God-focused. It's humanist with some spirituality mixed in. Now, John was preaching a whole different thing. And people were sick of all the commercials. Are you sick of commercials? If you buy this product, you will finally have the hair you've always dreamed of. You buy the product, and you're like, how come my hair's the same it's always been? If you buy this product, you will finally find your place in society. You buy your, that product, and you're like, I'm at the same place in society. And they make all of these promises, whether it's like fit in with this social group, 
fit in and have all your dreams come true, you know? And you buy it and you fall for it over and over and over again until eventually, are you ever going to get to a place where you're like, I know you're just manipulating me. I know it. Well, you know what? The people had gotten to a place in John's day where they're not going to hear a pretty message from John. They're going to hear some brutal truth. They were sick of hearing all the fancy false stuff. They needed truth. And uh, unexpected place, unexpected message, unexpected messenger. But they were flocking there in droves. So, the religious leaders, what's up with this guy? In the minds of the religious leaders, he shouldn't have been speaking at all. They were the religious experts. They're the ones that had the right to speak. If anyone was going to speak in the name of God, it was them. And if other people started to get the impression that God could use a wild man in the wilderness with a crazy outfit and a weird diet, and yet God could use that guy, people might start thinking, hey, if God could use him, he could probably use anybody. And that would be a threat to these religious leaders. That would be a problem. Also, they didn't know how serious that John's message was going to make people about God. Like, what if they started really getting, like, serious about following the Lord? What if they started, like, hey, you know what? The things that you're asking of me, Roman government, is immoral, and we say no now. Because we're going to follow God first. What if they started taking the word of God seriously, and then it caused a riot, and the Roman government got involved. And then all of a sudden, the Jewish leaders would lose their power. That wouldn't be good either. We want to keep these people needing us and lukewarm in spiritual things. So John was a threat. And they had to come and assess the situation. Who was this guy? They came to interrogate. Who are you? That's what it says there in verse 19. He says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? It's a pretty important question. Who are you? It's a question that like, again, is really popular in churches today. Churches have almost like left off studying the scripture and studying theology to studying identity. Every message is like, help you find yourself. Figure out who you are. Identity. And then from that, it's kind of like, God accepts, he loves you just the way you are. He accepts you. And then it's like, not only does God accept you, but God affirms you. He doesn't want you to change. He loves that. Just stay right there like that. And, and it's all identity. Identity, identity, identity. And we're all kind of in this place where we're in like an identity crisis. Who am I? What am I? How am I supposed to be? What's going on in my heart? Like, what's, what's this, like, this deeper pursuit that's in? What is that? 
Who are you? So they came to John. Who are you? Interesting question. Let's read verse 19 and 20 again. It says, now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. John was doing, what he was doing was so unusual in Israel. I mean, not just then and there, but like I said, even here today, it's still so unusual. Preaching sermons about warning people who assume that they are the people of God. Like, John's audience would basically be like the church people of today. He's gathering people that go to church every Sunday. And then from there, he's giving them these messages of you need to stop playing around and repent. Who's this guy? I go to church every Sunday. I sung a song one time. It's not super common. What, What he was telling them is they need to make a major change in their life. Stop playing games. They need to repent. Matthew chapter 3, verses two, verse 2 says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's calling people to repentance because they were playing games and didn't realize how serious the day and age that they were living in actually was. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you don't repent, you're going to miss it, is kind of John's message. There was an urgency to it. And then he'd call them to admit publicly that they fit the bill of someone who needed repentance and demonstrating it by coming down into the water, baptizing them. What right did he have to do this? make these big claims about the kingdom, require public confessions? Who said Israel needed to repent? I mean, what was so wrong with Israel that the religious officials couldn't fix their problem? Who does John think he is? Who are you? And I love the way it's answered here in verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Okay, that's a mouthful. Like, John could have just said, he replied. He answered. He could have said just once, he confessed. But no, like there's a threefold affirmation here. He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed. Like, there's emphasis on what's going on there. What he's saying here is, John didn't feel like he had to qualify what he was about to answer. He didn't feel like he had to kind of give the roundabout explanation and, you know, make it feel very acceptable. He didn't try to make it to where, like, the way he answered was, like, a little less offensive to these religious leaders of the day. The way it's worded is, is that, like, there was no question about it. He just spoke right up without any sense of apology, and just told them exactly, um, he just answered it so directly. 
And what was the answer? They're like, who are you? And he answers them, I'll tell you who I'm not. (laughs) Straight to the point, I am not the Messiah. I I think it's important for us as Christians to, um, it's really important for us to know who we are. It's a, it's a weird statement, but you need to know who you are. And with that in mind, an important way for you to know who you are is by coming to grips with who you're not. You have to come to grips with who you're not. This might be a simple thing, But I think every one of us needs to remember to not think too highly of yourself. To not be like presenting yourself like you're some high and great one. I see ministers that like parade themselves around as if they are God's anointed. I am the Lord's anointed. Now that that expression, the Lord's anointed, that is the expression for the Messiah or the Christ. The term Christ means the anointed one. Like when you launch a brand new ship and they smash the bottle of wine on it. You know what they call that? A christening. It's as if like, yay, they're commissioning it. In the cultures that believe in like, you know, baptizing their children, they call it a christening. There's this idea of like an anointing that comes along with it But to say that you're the anointed one, and ministers will parade themselves around like that. They'll advertise themselves as if like, your spiritual development belong, it's it's dependent upon me. So therefore, you come to me, and then I'll carry you the rest of the way. Ooh, watch out, buddy. Don't be thinking of yourself too highly. John is emphatic. What he says when they're like, who are you? His answer is basically like this. Who are you? I'm not the point. But I will forever point to the point. (laughs) I'm not the subject here. I am not the Christ. Like, it's it's the Lord that you're looking for. I'm not him. That is an awesome answer. And I think it would be a great thing for each of us to follow John's example of not being all about making a whole lot about yourself, but making a whole lot about Jesus. I am not the Christ. Verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So, who are you? The longest answer he gives, I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I am not. It's a little shorter of an answer. Are you the prophet? The shortest answer yet, no. Why would they ask if he was Elijah? They asked that because there was a prophecy 
that says that Elijah would come as a forerunner to the coming of the Messiah. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So they had the prophecies that the Messiah was going to come, that there was going to be this great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so they're expecting Elijah first. I mean, even today, if you go to a Jewish Passover feast in like their, their you know, synagogues or in their own homes, they will always leave an empty chair. And the empty chair, they always say, that's for Elijah, in case Elijah shows up. Because in their minds, Elijah is one of those key figures that's coming on the way to receiving the Messiah. So there's that's an expectancy. So from him to say, I'm not the Christ, and then them to go to Elijah means that there was even a bit of wondering going on in their own heart, like, okay, these are strange times right now. Okay, okay, are you Elijah then? Are you the forerunner for the Messiah? And what's beautiful in John's answer? He just said, I am not. Because he didn't think that of himself. That's not what he thought about himself. Now, Jesus, he said to his disciples, hey, if you could take this, John is the Elijah that's to come. But John straight out says, I'm not Elijah. Now, if you're like, well, how does that work out? John says he's not. Jesus says that he is. Well, what does Gabriel say when he comes to Zechariah before John's birth? He will come in the power and spirit of Elijah. And he will prepare the hearts of the fathers to the children, you know, and um, he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers and make a straight path for the way of the Lord. The difference is the prophecy in Elijah, the, the dreadful day of the Lord, and that speaks of something pretty cataclysmic. Nonetheless, they were expecting Elijah. And John, he didn't think that of himself. Nope, I'm not. Then they ask, are you that prophet? Because in Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells of a prophet who would come like Moses. And whoever he was, the Jews didn't really have that totally not, um, locked down. But they knew that there was a prophet coming like Moses. And so they were waiting on that guy to show up. They believed that this prophet either had to do with the coming of the Messiah or that he was the Messiah they weren't totally sure, but that was a key figure that they were anticipating. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And then in Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Could John be this promised prophet? And to that question, John gives his most abrupt answer. No. Knowing who you're not, 
kind of helps you figure out who you are. And so from that in verse 22 and 23, they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Interestingly like this, he says, he said, I am. That expression right there is this Greek expression, ego ami. There are a lot of people that later on we're going to find these seven I am statements of Jesus. Where he says, I am the bread from heaven, the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he's, he says these I am statements. I am the light of the world. And everybody, it's so common to hear people reference the I am of Jesus there to the I am of the burning bush where Moses says to you know, the Lord, well, who should I say sent me? And the Lord said, tell him I am has sent you. And so they take that and they go, look, this is the same as this. But I'll tell you right here, this where John says, I am. That's the same Greek word, ego ami. The, the claim to deity of what Christ says is in the statement. Like no one else is the door of the sheep. No one else is the way, the truth, and the life. No one else is the resurrection and the life. No one else, like only God could be that. So the claim to deity isn't in the fact that he says, ego a me. It's in ego a me, something only God can be. Here they come to John and they say, well, then what are you? And he says, ego a me, something that I am definitely not God. And I love that. His expression is so clear. He is not one of the great ones. I'm not some big name. I'm not Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not some prophet. What am I? He's just heralding the coming of the king. He's not the light, but he's a witness to the light. Who are you, John the Baptist? You want to know who I am? I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And that, that's a reference from one of the prophecies in Isaiah, chapter 40. A prophecy of the glory of the Lord being revealed. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together from the mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Who are you, John? John's answer is humble. It's not even like 
emphasis on, I am the voice. There have been many voices before me, but I am the voice. Like the way he words it, he's just like, I'm, a, I'm just a voice crying out. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. I'm not the Messiah. I'm, I'm not the prophet. I'm not even the voice. I'm just simply a voice proclaiming the herald of the coming of the king. That's all I am. And from that in verse 24 to 28. Now those who were sent from the Pharisees. Now, now, those, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Why are you baptizing then, John? Baptizing was kind of a new thing in Israel. It was, it was so strange what he was doing. He was calling people to, he was calling Israel, the people of God, he was calling them to repent. He wasn't no religious leader. He was some guy out in the desert. And he's calling him not only to repent, but now to this thing called baptism. No prophet in the past had baptized people. Um... I mean, sure, there was, uh, there was these different washings that were part of the Old Testament. They had these things called mikvahs, where it's like a staircase that would go down with a dividing wall and water down below. So you'd walk down the staircase, and then you'd walk through the water, and then you'd walk back up a different staircase to kind of be this, like, symbolism of, like, when you would convert to Judaism, uh, I came out a different guy than I went down in. I went in dry, and I came out wet. There, that's me. But it wasn't like a... It wasn't like a big thing. <laughs> um, and so why are you doing this, John? Nobody went around baptizing like John was doing. So John answers by pointing out that the emphasis wasn't even on what he did. The emphasis that he's building in his answer is a contrast between who he is and who is to come. He compares himself with Jesus. Where he says, I baptize with water. That could be translated more like this. Like, I am a baptizer of water. Like, what are you? Who are you? Um, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm a baptizer of water. But, and then the contrast, the contrast of, 
But there stands one among you, in verse 26, whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. So I'm just doing this stuff with water. I'm crying out with the little voice that God gave me. Uh, I'm doing this physical thing to physical people. But there's someone standing among you that you don't even realize. All I am is this little thing in this contrast of the main point. Like, I'm not the point. The one that's standing among you that you don't even know, that's the point. He's the subject. He's the light. And I'm bearing witness of him. John basically saying, I'm just dealing with externals here. Human work with human things. But God was doing something. God was the one that was bringing people out in the wilderness. He was the one, like Jesus even said, like uh, with John the Baptist, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Because there's like, there's reeds all over, but that didn't drive, drive anybody out into the wilderness. There's no need to make a metaphor out of the reeds shaken by the wind because reeds are out in the wilderness in the rivers and people don't flock to that. It's just normal. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Kings arrayed in fine clothing? No, they're in palaces. Why did you go out to the desert? What stirred your heart to realize that like, okay, I'm sick of all of this, like the, the commercials, uh, promises of a better me. Like I need to come to grips with, no, the reality of me is that I've sinned. I'm falling short here. Like, I'm not the guy that I pretend to be. I'm not the guy that I ought to be. Like, I am in fault, and I need to tell this to somebody. God was drawing them out to this wild man out in the wilderness. And even in the, the, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 3, it says in the, the year that um, I'm not going to quote it right, but it says like uh, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. You have the you have the, tach, the tetriarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and then it says Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. All of these super important people, all of these big political leaders, and then it says, "But the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness." I was like, "All those powerful people? No, no. I'm just going to bypass them. I'm going to do a work." in a man sent by God in the middle of the desert. And I'm going to draw people's hearts to come out. And they're going to come out and they're going to be baptized in the river. God was doing something. And then he contrasts himself with just a voice, heralding the coming of the king. I'm just doing human things, to like external things to, with human people. But God was doing something here. But... There is one standing among you. And John uses the present tense. The way it's worded is, is that Jesus had been hanging out with John's disciples. He'd been there in their midst. Like, it's a weird thing to think. Like, Jesus was hanging out with John the Baptist. And when, when all that ministry was starting to grow, like, wow. But what's interesting is the part that you don't even know him. You're standing right here in your midst, and you don't even know him is what he says. 
And I think there's some beautiful application to that. How often you could be in a place where like the Lord is standing right there in your midst. And you don't even know it. You know, that's what Jacob said that day where, you know, he called that place Bethel. This is the house of God. Like you were here and I didn't even know it. When he, um, you know, with, with Mary, when she came to the garden tomb, and he was right there on the road to Emmaus, you know, until their eyes were open. I mean, like, to be in the very presence of God and not realize it. But here, it's more speaking of, like, at that moment, one standing there right now, whom you don't know, and then he says this, whose dignity, whose person is so great that I'm not even worthy to, to take off his slipper. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandal. Like, that's such a common thing. That's what slaves would do. They would take off the shoe, and they would wash the feet. And John's like, this one is so great, I'm not even worthy to do that thing. You know, like, clean the dirt. Like, that's, that's beyond me. So John says, who are you? Who, do you? who are you? I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I am a voice. I am a baptizer with water. I'm not worthy. He gives us four like things that he's not and only two things that he is. John knew who he wasn't and was comfortable there. And because he knew who he wasn't, he was free to be who he was. And that's why we call him to this day John the Baptist. <laughs> we live in a day where we don't even know who, we're trying everything. Trying to fit everybody's shoes. And because we're trying to fit everybody's shoes, like we don't even, we're like, no, I, I don't want to be simple. I don't want a simple life. I want to be like the everything person. I want to be a great one. I want to be known as a great one. One of the things that I find really consistent with those who are the closest to the Lord, those that had actual experiences with God in the Bible, there's this common theme among them. You, know, you hear it all the time. Like People are like, oh man, I just had this really emotional experience. Like, I experienced the Lord, bro. Like, oh, you did? Okay. And then you kind of watch to see, and it doesn't match up with those that had legitimate experiences with God in the Scripture. What do you find with those who have a, like experiences with God in the Scripture? Uh, there was a time when Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord and his majesty. And when he saw that, he saw something else too. He saw the reality of who he was. It tells us in Isaiah 6 verse 5, then, So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of 
of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When he sees the Lord, what's he say about himself? I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. He says, woe is me. Job said in Job 42, 5 and 6, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job is having a legitimate experience of God. And what is his reaction? I am a prophet. I am amazing. I am an anointed one. I am among the greats. No, he says he abhors himself. Once he had a legitimate time with the Lord, he's like, Ugh, me? Wow, like, I thought I looked good, and then I saw myself reflected in the mirror of his glory, and I was like, whoa, I abhor myself. That is true beauty. That is true splendor. That is true awesome. And then like people have cheesy, jokingly defined the word meek as breaking it into two words, me, ek. All right, so yeah, Isaiah, Job. But what about Daniel? Daniel 10, verse 15 through 17, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength for how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. That's, that's Daniel's reaction. Or what about Peter? In Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then John, the one who's writing this gospel, Revelation 1.17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. All these guys had similar experiences. Now here's the beauty of it, okay? This is something that I find really interesting. When you have a legitimate experience with the Lord, like you get a very real concept of who you are. But then at the same time, let's consider John. John says, I'm not Elijah. Jesus says to his disciples, if you can handle this, John's the Elijah that's going to come. So like John has this estimation of himself. It's just like, look, like I'm just a guy. And Jesus is like, more than a guy. <laughs> They're like, what? Are you the prophet? No. Jesus to his disciples, among all the prophets that there's ever been, not a greater one has arisen than John. So like, if the Lord is going to promote you, then that's up to him. 
But don't be tooting your horn because that's vanity, that's pride. God despises that. Just stand in all of his splendor. Let the Lord be the Lord, and then let him do with you whatever he wants. John's like, I'm just a voice. Pretty effective voice. Well, yeah, but that's not because of I had a great tone. That's the Lord. I'm just a baptizer. Yeah, but like you did it really good. How, like what, there's skill involved. Like that's the Lord. He was doing that. Like God took my normal and he used that for his glory. So John was very honest. He had more to say about who he wasn't than who he was. Now, these guys that I just showed you, Isaiah, Job, Daniel, Peter, John, when they began to have a real relationship with the Lord, when they had a real experience, they became very convinced of who they weren't. And that freed them up to be who they were. And why do I say it like that? Who are you? Who are you? You might not know how to answer that. Because you don't know who God's made you to be. You don't know who you're not. And yet, you might be out trying to claim attention or glory for yourself that doesn't belong to you. Like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your truth's sake. You might be feeling really insecure around believers because you're constantly trying to prove yourself to be a great one. I'll tell you, one of the most weird environments to be in is a pastor's conference. It's so weird. Because you get to these conferences, and there's like hundreds of pastors, and like, I just, I don't like it. But they spend most of their conversations trying to prove to you that they deserve to be there. So what's the conversations that you hear at pastor's conferences? Well, we have this many people coming to our church now. Okay, like, I don't care how many people you have coming to your church. Well, you should. Like, I have a lot of people coming to my church. I deserve to be here. They don't, they don't say that I deserve to be here part. We have this much money coming into our church. Okay. Or they try to, like, teach, like, they preach to you a little bit of the sermon that they preached the previous Sunday to like prove to you that they deserve to be there. Why do you feel like you got to prove that you, have, you deserve to be here? Like, did God bring you here or not? If God brought you here, then just be here. And let's get to know each other. Like, don't prove to me that you're like a great one. But we fall into that. Why? Because we're so insecure. We're insecure because we're trying to like, convince people that we are something that we're not. And that's a very awkward place to live your spiritual life in. Or, you might be trying to be Jesus in someone's life. And what do I mean by that? You get all frustrated because you can't work the miracle. 
You get all frustrated because you can't inspire the obedience. No matter how many times you lecture or clever ways that you say it or whatever, like, you know, leaving like the quick little emails or sending the memes or whatever you're doing, you can't inspire the obedience and you get frustrated. You can't bring the change that that person needs in their life. And so because you can't work the miracles, inspire the obedience, or bring the change, you get all frustrated. But you're trying to be something that you're not. You can't be Jesus. He's the miracle worker. He's the one they need. So if you're going to be anything, be the person that talks about Jesus. Just be a voice. Be a voice. Or you might be, like I said, blowing your own horn, and it's exhausting because that's a heavy weight that you got to carry. Who are you? To be clear on that, there's going to be some things that you have to come to grips with that you're not. Remember, John had four things that he wasn't, and only two things that he was. And remember this about the kingdom. Those who see themselves as unworthy are usually the ones that in God's estimation are usable. <laughs> remember Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That poverty of spirit, like, I don't deserve this. Yeah. There's blessing there. So in wrapping it up, look, John knew that he wasn't Elijah. He wasn't trying to be Jesus. He wasn't pretending to be the prophet. He was just a voice. A voice that was there to preach to people, calling them to repentance, to stop playing games in the middle of an urgent time, because the Lord was coming. A voice to get them ready to meet Jesus when he comes. And he was busy doing just that, what God had called him to do. Looking for the coming of the Messiah. And I think it's great because we're in kind of a similar situation today. We live amongst a people of God who love to play games, have no idea the, the danger that they're in. They make all kinds of assumptions about their walk with the Lord. And yet they need to hear resounding, repent! The kingdom is at hand. There's no time to mess around. What a great time to be serious about your walk with the Lord. What a great time to publicly admit like your failures. And that's the beauty about hanging out with like a body of believers, right? When you become part of like the local church, you become really aware of everybody's shortcomings. Like on the small talk stuff, it's easy to present yourself as a great one. But when you get to know, like, you get to know me, and you're going to be like, you know, like, I mean, some of you are just getting to know me, and, like, you realize that I'm terrible at calling people back, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, like, oh, that pastor, so bad at calling, I'm, I, I'm forgetful. You'll get to know that about me. If I hang out with you for a while, I, I'll get to know stuff about you, too. And you know what's beautiful about that is that it creates spiritual development within the atmosphere of sincerity. It's not pretense growth. It's like real growth. 
And that's the beauty. We're not sitting here presenting ourselves as things that we're not. We're together admitting like we're a group of people that are falling short or that has fallen short, but we want the Lord to be exalted in our community. And so there's repentance that's going on. There's like community that's there. And there's like a mutual strengthening and holding each other accountable and praying for one another. And the body begins to strengthen and build itself up in love. And it's beautiful. And so John being busy doing what God had called him to do. To be just a voice. Calling people to repent. That's a, that's a reality. Like, we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. Put the full weight of our confidence on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And then question, am I willing to be a voice as well? A voice that interrupts the silence while I eagerly await for the Lord to return from heaven. Um, know who you're not. Be okay with that. Definitely know who you are and, uh, and be that for the sake of the kingdom.